Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this good day, and, and Father, we do thank you for the rain. Uh, we, we know that come July, we will wish that we had some of this, and so we're very grateful for it. We do pray uh, that you'll keep everyone safe in the palm of your hand, those who are out there right now, and then the rest of us who will be out in it in a little while, that you will keep us safe and uh, help us to arrive to our destinations without any difficulty. Father, thank you for the good food. Use it to strengthen and nourish our bodies. Thank you for all who have come and brave, braving the elements to be here. As we begin today our study of 1 Peter, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, guide us, and instruct us from this great epistle. I pray that it will encourage our lives, particularly as we reflect upon uh, suffering and knowing that Peter addressed that subject uh, extensively in this epistle I pray that you would strengthen us in those times when we suffer. And we know that the scripture tells us it's not if we suffer, but it is when. It comes to all of us. And so, Father, we know that most of us have been through some suffering, and some are in it right now, and all of us will experience it if we live long enough. So I pray that this will encourage our hearts today. We love you, we adore you, and Pray you'll bless us now in our study. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Vicki, thank you for the food. We appreciate that. This was from McAllister's today. Uh, Brody's is no longer in business and I'm, my heart is broken. That's what happens when I go to Haiti. Uh, everything, you know, everything changes. So, uh, boy, I'll tell you, Brody's was awesome for us for these many months. Uh, I don't remember any meals that weren't absolutely A-plus superb. And so I really appreciate Jancy Coker and those who work with her and uh, wish them the best in their new endeavors, and we'll miss their being here in Belton. It's a really good place to eat. All right, open your Bibles to First Peter. Uh, if you're with us on Sunday mornings, you know we're in James, so the book right after James is First Peter, and that's where we are. I've entitled the study, A Letter to Those Who Suffer, and uh, as I mentioned in the prayer, and you know from your previous reading of 1 Peter that there is a good deal about uh, Christians' suffering and how to handle that and encouragement to us, so we will, we will see that as we move along today. All right, um, you should have an outline. There are pens on the tables to assist you and... Uh, if you'll go ahead and open your Bibles, we'll read in just a moment. Life can be hard. I doubt that's new news to anybody in this room. You know, uh, gray hair outnumbers other colors of hair in this room. I mean, that's who we are. Um, and, and no hair runs a close second, but... Um, <laughs> You don't reach the age of most of us in this room without knowing that suffering is part of life. And if we, if Jesus tarries in his coming, we also know that we will likely face more suffering, various kinds. Some of our suffering is because we live for Jesus. We choose to take a stand for him. We are part of the church and that can bring suffering. We see it around the world today probably more than we do here so far. 
but it is it is very real. We all know what happened on Sunday, a uh, couple of Sundays ago in Sri Lanka. We are well aware, if you keep up with the news, um, what is going on in China. And I've been reading some articles and getting ready for this, and and one commentator surprised me but then gave statistics to back it up so I'll be bringing some of this stuff to you over the next few weeks um, the, the the persecution of Christians around the world today this writer says is nothing less than, than genocide people don't like to use that term and uh, if you watch most of the major news media you wouldn't know Christians were suffering anything you'd think it's a Sunday school picnic they seem to have this uh, aversion to talking about Christians suffering. They don't want to talk about it for whatever reason. Uh, they want to be politically correct because if you say Christians are being persecuted, then the next question is, well, who's persecuting them? <clears throat> and that's where they don't want to talk about it any longer. Nevertheless, there are believers suffering all over the world today. We don't really know the full intensity of that where we are, but guess what? It's coming. And you already see it. You know, we're not blind to what's going on today. So um, we're going to talk about suffering in, in this study of First Peter. You can't avoid it. It is really the theme of the entire epistle. Uh, being a Christian does not deliver us from suffering. Now, some suffering is because you take a stand for Christ. There, there's other kinds of suffering that just comes because you're alive on the face of planet Earth. And you're going to get sick. You're going to hurt. You're going to lose loved ones. Things are going to happen. We're going to suffer just because we are alive. And being a Christian doesn't exempt us from that. In fact, standing for our faith can often lead directly to more suffering than we might experience if we weren't believers. But just remember, it's temporary. And look what we have awaiting us in the future. So... How many of you remember the line and the dot? Remember that? The line and the dot. Where the dot, the line is eternity. Remember, we've sure got a great future that's going to go on forever and ever and ever and ever. So take heart. When you do suffer, take heart. It is only for a little while. And we have something incredible waiting for us. Now, we have a deep admiration for saints who suffer well, but we do not really want to be in their number. Uh, we talk about when the saints go marching in, I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in, but when the, when the saints suffer, I don't want to be in that number. I mean, we don't. Uh, I don't know of anybody in their right mind who says, I'm, I'm ready to sign up. I want to suffer. We don't want to suffer. We're human. We don't want to suffer. But we know that it is a reality. So Peter addresses those who suffer. In the first century, he calls them elect, exiles, scattered, as we'll see in a moment when we read the first verse. We anticipate the day we go into the presence of the Lord. But between now and then, between now and that glorious day, we face suffering. God's Son suffered, and so it will be for all of us who are in Him. Christian life. I don't know that you can see it from back there. 
in Christ, suffering in this world. It's, it's going to happen. You know that. And there'll be more to come. So salvation's future goal is built upon the present trials of life. So how are we to live? How are we to live? David Souza, I mean, I'm just interrupting my thoughts today. David, it's great to have you back. I don't know if y'all saw David. David and Fran, we, we miss them a lot. I'm glad you could be here today, David. So look at verses 1 and 2. We're going to read this introduction, talk about it, and then we'll move on to the, the rest of the chapter. By the way, this is a great chapter. It really is one of the greatest chapters in Scripture. Verse 1, chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. All right, let's talk about those two verses for a moment. The author is identified in the first word. It's Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's his identity. Peter says, my name is Peter. I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. Bold outspoken Peter. Now, I wish I thought about just going through a review of Peter's life to get started today, but I said not to do that. But reflect on it. You know all the things that the Gospels tell us Peter experienced. It was very outspoken. Uh, We also remember that we know that that outspokenness sometimes was open mouth, insert foot, but at other times he was boldly proclaiming the truth. And so we sympathize with him when he put his foot in his mouth and sometimes say, yep, been there, done that. But we admire him greatly when he stands boldly and courageously and proclaims the truth of Jesus Christ. Like when he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you've spoken correctly, Peter. And upon this rock, the rock of your confession, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We remember Peter in his denial, warming his hands by a fire while Jesus was on trial, scared to death. Three young ladies are there by the fire, and they spot him, and they say, you're one of his followers, aren't you? We, you know, we've seen you with him. And uh, he says, nope, not me. And yeah, it's you, nope, not me. And then the third time, he gets profane. And he curses and said, it is not me. And, of course, the rooster crowed and we know the rest. But one of the greatest chapters in the Bible is John 21 where Jesus meets Peter on the shore of the Sea of Galilee after the resurrection. And there's that reconciliation, the greatness of being made right with the Lord again. And I love that chapter. So that that's Peter. We are aware on the day of Pentecost, his great preaching, and 3,000 came to know the Lord in one day. And we're, we're amazed what happened to the man who cursed and said, I don't know Jesus. And then 40-something days later, he's preaching boldly 
and challenging people to repent, be baptized, well, we know what happened. There's a resurrection. He has seen the risen Christ, and that changed everything. He's no longer fearful, but he's a man of great courage and boldness. So, uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, bold, outspoken Peter, is the author of this epistle. Now, Peter has more ups and downs than the stock market. But we're going to see him in light in this epistle that will uh, increase our admiration for him as an apostle of Jesus. We'll see chapter 5 later, but the first verse of chapter 5 says, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Then he gives some instructions. So what Peter is saying there is, I was an eyewitness. I was an eyewitness. Isn't there one station that says eyewitness news? Yeah. Peter says, I'm an eyewitness. Everything that I say about Jesus, I saw with my own eyes. Um, He's a disciple. He's an elder in the early church. He's a witness to all that Jesus said and did, including his death, burial, and resurrection. So we love Peter perhaps because we see something of ourselves in him in some shape, form, or fashion. Now, just so you'll be aware, there are liberal scholars who try to cast doubt on Peter as the author, although it plainly says he is. And uh, the reason that they cast doubt upon Peter as the author is they say that that the Greek is really good. The Greek in this epistle is really good. And Peter was just, put quotes on that, just a fisherman, uneducated, and they say it's not possible for him to have written that well. Well, uneducated does not mean ignorant, does it? Does not mean ignorant. In fact, if you will look uh, or listen as I read Acts chapter 4 verse 13, Peter's preaching speaking to the Sanhedrin, speaking eloquently. And the fourth chapter and the 13th verse of Acts says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now there's the key. Took note that these men had been with Jesus. In Peter's life, in Peter's preaching, and in Peter's writing, we see the power of Jesus. His authorship of this epistle is guided by the Holy Spirit. And his listeners in Acts chapter 4 were surprised that one uneducated man could speak so well. So he could write too. He could write well also. The language is clear, the language is direct, and I might add inspired of God through the Holy Spirit. The recipients of this epistle, right there in verse 1, elect exiles of the dispersion. Three strong words, elect, exile, dispersion. Elect means chosen. That's the intimate term used most often in the Bible to speak of those whom God loves. Let me give you an example of God's love for Israel. 
Go uh, with me or listen as I read from Ezekiel, the 16th chapter. Ezekiel, the 16th chapter, he's speaking to Israel. And beginning with the fourth verse, here is what God says. On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of those things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, for on the day you were born, you were despised. Speaking to his people. Then I passed by. Notice his picturesque language. Then I passed by, and I saw you kicking about in your blood as you lay there in your blood. And I said to you, live. I made you grow like a plant of the field. You grew and developed and entered puberty. Your breasts had formed and your hair had grown, yet you were stark naked. Later I passed by, and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Sovereign Lord, and you became mine. Notice that beautiful language of God's calling of His people. I bathed you with water, and I washed the blood from you, and I put ointment on you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put sandals of fine leather on you. I dressed you in fine linen, and I covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewelry. I put bracelets on your arms and a necklace around your neck, and I put a ring on your nose and earrings on your ears and a beautiful crown on your head, so you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothes were of fine linen and costly fabric and embroidered cloth. Your food was honey, olive oil, and the finest flour. You became very beautiful and rose to be a queen. And your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty because the splendor I had given you made your beauty perfect, declares the sovereign Lord. Isn't that a beautiful picture of God's love for his people? In the same way that God chose Israel, he has chosen us. That intimate term of those upon that who, whom God loves. God's electing love of Israel in Ezekiel. God's electing love of us, the church. Do you see what Peter is getting at? Can you, can you begin to feel it as we read it from, from Ezekiel? There is comfort associated with these words. These people who are suffering, they're hurting, they're being persecuted, they're being chased from pillar to post. And Peter writes to comfort them. He says to them, you are God's elect. You are God's chosen And that comforts their hearts. It is intended to encourage. It's intended to remind us that God loves us. That's what Peter's getting at. You're you're God's chosen. He, He has picked you. He loves you. And in the midst of suffering and and persecution, there's this yes, God does love me. And that brings great encouragement to to those to whom he wrote. Exiles of the dispersion, dispersed, chased, 
persecuted, exiled. And when he uses the word exiled, they're exiled by persecution. But he reminds them, you're, you're not home yet. You aren't there yet. You're on the way, but right now, right now it's hard, but you're not there yet. Take comfort that you are chosen by me and that I love you and I care about you. Living in exile in a picturesque way is the normative state for the Christian. And all over the world today, there, there are believers who would read First Peter and they would say, yes, that's where we are. That's where we are. Persecuted, hounded, murdered, wounded, imprisoned. Our places of meeting, our churches burned and destroyed, threatened. And yet we hold fast to the one who loves us. The dispersion. We're everywhere. Believers are everywhere, dispersed throughout the earth. The, the, the places that he mentioned particularly are places that today primarily are located in Turkey. Now, we know exiles scattered throughout the earth. And then he gives some specific names. We know that today the gospel is proclaimed in Atlanta and Athens, in Belton and Bangladesh, in Chicago and Cameroon, in Dallas and Denver, in East St. Louis and England, in Fort Worth and Finland, in Georgia and Grand Junction, in Honolulu and and Houston, Indianapolis and India. And I could go on through the alphabet, but I won't do it. But you know... The gospel is proclaimed in all of those places. We have this in common with Peter's recipients. We are God's chosen elect in all the earth, exiles awaiting our call home. I love Belton, Texas. If God keeps letting it be my choice... I'm not going to live anywhere else the rest of my life. And if if he makes me go somewhere else, I'll probably throw a little hissy fit. But, but I love Belton. This is a great place to live. But I'm under no illusion that I'm home yet. I'm not. And neither are you. Our final home is still in front of us. And so, we are exiles awaiting our call home. And in verse 2, Peter offers incredible encouragement. Let, Let me read that again. We have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. That's a great It's a great verse. God knew and God knows. And we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That's what He does in our lives. The word sanctification means we're becoming more like Jesus as time goes by because the Holy Spirit in us sanctifies us by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
and he says, grace and peace, grace and peace. Do you see the Trinity in, 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 in the second verse? You see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in, in that verse? Our soul rises in praise even though we aren't home yet and we see the Trinity because it says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus sprinkled with His blood. There's the Trinity in one verse. God is in control of all we experience. Take heart. Be encouraged. You're chosen by God and called to live in this world and Peter's desire for you is to experience God's grace and to know His peace. And that's what he's saying to persecuted believers. Be encouraged. I want you to know God's grace. I want you to know His peace. And remember, I'm with you and you're not home yet. You know, I could hardly sleep Sunday night. It's my last night in Haiti. I could hardly sleep because I knew I had to get up at 4 in the morning. There is a 4 a.m. I had to get up at 4, but I knew when I got up, I was going to grab my suitcases. I wasn't going to go through another cold shower. (laughs) I'd already done that on Sunday, and that's enough. You know, old days, we only took one bath a week anyway. Wasn't that the way it was a century ago? So I jump out of bed, throw my stuff in, my last stuff in my suitcase, and I'm ready to go. Why? I'm going home. I can't wait to get back to Belton. Can't wait to see my wife, my, my grandkids, and you. I'm excited about going home. So Peter is saying, you're not home yet. It's, it's coming. It's there. Take heart. Be comforted, be encouraged. God is in control. Now, I want us to look. We, we just, I, I talk too much. But here, look at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. I'll tell you a story and we'll go home. This comes from uh, a a book written on the life of, of a man whose last name is Jones. You'll recognize the name in a moment. Early in the 20th century, you know, the century we were born in. Early in the 20th century, there was a young Welsh boy by the name, last name Jones, and in search of a better education for their son, his parents sent him away to a boarding school far from home. Years later, the boy, whose first name was Martin, now some of you will know, oh, Martin Lloyd Jones, great preacher of the gospel. He's not a preacher yet. He's still a boy. He reflected on that experience, and here's what he said. I must add that I suffered at that time from a sickness which has remained with me all along life's path, and that was hareth. It's H-I-R-A-E-T-H, H-I-R-A-E-T-H, and it's a Welch term for homesickness. Hireth is an awful thing, 
as also is the feeling of loneliness, of being destitute and unhappy, which stem from the feeling of loneliness, it is difficult to define hareth. But to me, it means the consciousness of a person being out of his home and that which is dear to him. My three years at boarding school were very unhappy, and that was only because of this longing. I had bosom companions there, and I enjoyed the lessons. That's what he calls his schooling, the lessons. But I remember as if it were yesterday, sitting in church on Sunday night when I had come home for the weekend, and suddenly being hit by the thought, this time tomorrow night I shall be in my lodgings at school and all at once I would be down in the depths. Been there? Sure you have. We all know the feeling. There were two nights that bracketed my trip to Haiti, which I did not sleep well. The night before we left and the night before I came home. The night before I left... All I could think about was, I'm not going to be home. I'm going to be away from my wife. I'm going to be away from everything familiar, everybody I know and love except my boy. And there's just kind of this lump in my throat, and I begin to think about what all should I have done that I hadn't done? What what did I not forget to do? What did I forget to pack? And I'm thinking, I don't want to go! Sharon says, grow up, be a big boy, it's Okay. <laughs> But you know the feeling. Some of you went away to college. Some of you went away to the military. You, you know, you're not home. And there's that home sickness in your heart. So Peter's going to talk about that. We aren't home. So what does that mean? Come back next time and we'll pick up right there with verse 3. And let's pray. Father, thank you for the encouragement we find in your precious word. Father, we all experience suffering, sorrow, some because we stand for Christ, some just because we're alive. And we ask that you make the verses of 1 Peter so real to us that for the rest of our lives, whatever we face, we'll remember this epistle and find in its words great hope and encouragement. And we do know we're not home yet. There's a bit of a homesickness in our hearts. The day's coming. We're not there yet. So sustain us and encouragement and sustain us and encourage us until that day comes. That glorious day in which we see you face to face. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. See you next week.